You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Okay, here we go. Welcome by Like Flint Radio, ons podcast. Samen met my het ek Andy. Hallo. Ek is Andy. Hallo Andy. Hallo, Guzzi. I cannot speak of the dance anymore. Wat het jylle met my gedoen? What have you guys done to me? Well, that's a, a really good you, question, actually. Um, and and I suppose we could say a, 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 hello to GK2, who, who can speak Afrikaans. Chrissy, <laughs> is this the part where I say, ek verstand your knee? <laughs> Uh, ja, dit is Garth, maar um, weet jy wat, ek verstaan myself amper nie eers meer nie, want ek kan nie meer Afrikaans praat, jylle, jylle, is, a, jylle is a slechte influence op my, ja. um, en ek dink as drie mense wat my nou sal verstaan wat hierna gaan luister, um, en, en, en ek hou daarvan hoe Garth lach, maar hy weet jy wat ek sê nie, uh, in any case, let's just, ja, yeah. um, Garth, you don't have a clue what we just said, eh? Just nod and say yes. I, I am, I'm nodding, and I'm just going to rely on, like, say, D messaging me and telling me exactly what you said. Let me tell you for D. So, hello, D. Hello, D. Hello, D. Okay, there we go. That's your Afrikaans lesson for today, G. Thank Danke. Danke. Um, there we go. So... Andy, what are we doing? We've got Cruzy here. What are we doing in this show? What's happening? Well, first of all, I just I, I just want Cruzy to explain why it's taken him three hours um, <laughs> <laughs> to actually come and record with us. Um, Cruzy, over to you. <laughs> um, in technical terms, there's technical little monsters that live on computers, right? <laughs> Stop me if you don't believe me. Anytime. And, yeah, this and, is sounding like a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Alex Jones said it, it must be true, okay? <laughs> so, so hear me out now. These little monsters that live in your computer, and every now and again they decide, no, we've had enough of the Illuminati. <laughs> and uh, the Illuminati, sorry, Illuminati. And then they try and take over your computer. Mm-hmm. And I've had attack, an attack of these Illuminati bugs on my computer. <laughs> but I installed a program called Anti-Illuminati Alex Jones 2.0. Did it uh, work? It seemed to have disinfected my PC, yes. <laughs> as long as it hasn't completely eliminated it, it's fine. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I've had Skype problems. Yeah, let's just leave it there. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, glad, I get to um, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're back. <laughs> I, do have, I do have one other question as well. Uh-oh. Um, mm-hmm. We have had several emails asking where have you been um, mm. because you haven't been on the show for so long. Mm. Um, can you mm. let our audience know if, if it's like if you've been doing that secret agent work, please don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, you along don't those have lines. to. Yeah. Where have you yeah, been? Yeah, I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. It's just part of <laughs> the rules. We maybe should move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you been hiding or what, what have you been up to there, uh, Cruzy? No, no, no. I've been working very hard, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that and a combination of other things uh, has kept me very quiet, which probably boosted ratings. Um, <laughs> so, if, if, if there was any ratings on, on podcasting. That one listener that we had in Transylvania mm-hmm. has switched off. So. Yeah, but now he's gone as well because he doesn't understand Afrikaans. <laughs> he's going to think he tuned to the wrong show. Oh, golly. <clears throat> oh, no. Okay, so do you guys want to know about, 
what we're going to be doing this time. My job here is done confusion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes. So what's on the menu, Andy? Mm. Well, Cruzy told me that he wanted to talk about his twisted sister. I don't really know what he's <laughs> getting at, and I hope she's not offended by that because I really found it wow. rather rather shocking that he would oh, refer so to his own so sister as uh, Twisted. So that's apparently going to be coming up from Cruzy. And then we're going to go over to uh, chat to Cliffy live. And so when we get to that moment, we're going to just give him a call, see how he's doing. And then from there, we're off to Armenia, which is going to be quite interesting, to discuss wow. a storm that was brewing over there. And then finally, we have a very special guest, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Hey. But mm -hmm. we're going to find out more about him much later. So stay okay. tuned. All our guests are special, Andy. Well, some are special and some are more special. Yeah, no, I'm, okay. I'm looking forward to all of that. Obviously, I have a bit of a clue about some of that. Mm -hmm. And then in there somewhere, we're going to have a flake from Cruzy as well. Yeah, he's going to tell us about his sister. <laughs> it's getting late. <laughs> <laughs> Andy... Andy, while you, you're giving away, you're giving away my old flint flag. Oh, I'm sorry. Does, I just want to know: Does your sister know about this? Because I do feel you need to disclose these things before you um, actually record it. My and sister, I don't think listens to this. Um, <laughs> luckily, for me now. Mm -hmm. What? Do I sound okay? Because remember, I switched microphones. This is all right. You sound fine. Perfect. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. No, wait. There's something wrong. You sound <laughs> Australian. Stop it. Can, can you fix that, please? <laughs> Here, I can do this. Can I have another spoonful of that <laughs> porridge, that sounds please? sounds much better. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get back on Isn't track that? now. Who thought that you'd add Cruzy to the mix and it had just gone? I know. That's exactly what happened. Because I haywire. All right. It is utter confusion. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, look, I was going to say, um, you know, it's been so long since we did a, a flake show, especially with Cruzy, because we did one without him. And Let me guess, it went smoothly, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it was Actually, so, it so boring. I have to tell you, Cruzy, it was, it was really boring. to be honest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, I've enjoyed the interviews that we've had since the last Flint Flake show, because when you think about it, you know, there was a lot of variety there. You know, we had Frank Johnson, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we had Daryl Bock with his book, Truth Matters. Mm -hmm. Then we had Graham Gould with the theology. Remember, we had a pretty heavy-duty theology uh, lesson with Graham. Mm -hmm. Then we had Janet from the Outback Gospel Ministries, which was quite different from, from what we had with Graham. And then we had um, Julian from The Mind Renewed. So if you go back and have a listen to each one of them, you're going to find each one is so different um, mm -hmm. that if you like some variety in your podcast diet, I mean, we have we ever got a menu for you? Because <laughs> they're all so different. <laughs> Next up is fishing tips with how to put a worm on the hook. Oh, that should be good. Oh. Hey, yeah, guys, can I ask a question? Mm. Sure. Go. No, that's it. I just wanted to know if I can ask a question. Oh, sure. All right. <laughs> okay, so um, what's our first flake? <laughs> <laughs> Andy? Well, apparently our first flake is going to be this disclosure about Cruzy's twisted sister. Over to you, Cruzy.
yeah, that guy's not going to take it anymore. And uh, that's how I feel about twisted scripture. Today we're going to look at some examples of how scripture is twisted uh, by some inside the church and some from the pseudo-Christian church. We're going to look at some examples and I'm going to deal with some examples that will make some people angry. But remember, this is only my view. I'm not infallible. Um, it's just scriptures that I see getting used out of context in the modern church. Remember that uh, wolves inside the church that the Bible warns us against, they dressed as sheep. They speak sheep language and they get away with it for the most part. One of the things they do do is when they use scripture, they actually twist it to suit their point of view or their doctrine that they're trying to teach. Remember the Garden of Eden? The devil did not immediately deny the word. He first questioned the word by saying to Eve, Hath God said? And then he said to her, You shall surely not die. So first he put doubt in her mind about the word of God, and then he twisted it. And we're going to have a look at that today. Uh, first of all, though, yeah, first of all, uh, we're going to have a listen to uh, a letter that Dave Hunt received, you know, a couple of years back, the late Dave Hunt, about a, a Jewish guy in Israel and his view on the state of the church. Um, I, I think it's quite scary that somebody from outside the church can actually see so much wrong with the church and a lot of us can't see it. But let's listen to what this person had to write to Dave Hunt. This is a letter that I received actually April 2000. Get as old as I am. Time passes. It came from Israel. It begins, I am a Jew of Galilee who has read through your monthly newsletter for the past months well, eight or ten months, he says at that time. And I could not resist writing you a brief note. By the way, we have a newsletter. You can sign up for it at our table. Happy to send it out to you free <clears throat> each month. Now, this is a, a Hebrew <clears throat> from Galilee, and his English is impeccable. A brilliant man. <clears throat> Pardon me. I am a research librarian historian by training, and I've been following various religious spiritual realms which choose to represent themselves as Christian for some 20 years, most especially the self-styled charismatic movements. Now, in my research forays, I've always found it necessary to separate the non-biblical from the biblical and had therefore classified, some will offend some of you perhaps, but I'm just reading you what this man says, therefore classified the, char the charismatic movements as New Age many non-biblical beliefs suffused with traditional Christian symbols and references. I was never certain when I was observing a spontaneous, adaptive, syncretic folk faith loosely drawing on biblical imagery and phraseology or, <clears throat> on the other hand, when I was witnessing a deliberate, cynical, and exploitative use of Christianity by essentially non-Christian people. Whoa! This is coming from a Jew observing the church in America. I'm reading what the man says. Um, some of you are not going to like it, and some of you won't like what I say. But uh, anyway, uh, let me say this. If I say anything that isn't true, 
if I misquote anyone, if I quote anyone out of context, if what I say is not biblical, please tell me. And I wouldn't consider it an attack. I would consider it a kindness. I don't want to be wrong. On the other hand, if what I say is true, then please pay attention to it. He named some names. Maybe I shouldn't just drop this, but anyway, it's in the man's letter. When I see Billy Graham, Bill Bright, and Chuck Colson each taking their million-plus dollars from such an ardent, publicly affirmed New Ager as Sir John Templeton, well, I know that they, too, affirm the agenda. Time was when 30 pieces of silver was enough. Whoa! I'm reading this letter from a Jew in Galilee observing the Christian scene. Well, let me skip on. Everywhere, the old paganism is emerging triumphant in its own estimation, having stolen into the sheepfold with a bloody pelt wrapped around its old self. Soon, the sheep pelt will be discarded. But I never thought these pagan forces would overtake the old seemingly hardcore orthodoxy of Christianity so quickly as it has these past 20-odd years. What you might call the old faith has collapsed like a house of cards from my Jewish Galilean perspective. wonder why some of us from a Christian perspective here in America don't seem to be able to understand what he understands. Maybe there were always problems in the biblical church, but today non-biblical beliefs are rationalized as good and anti-biblical beliefs are often accepted with a special gusto. When the life of Job can be exchanged for falling over backwards, this Jew and not a few others are at a loss to see any Hebraic roots whatsoever. You used to have to suffer like Job to learn lessons and mature as a follower of the Lord. Now you just, Benny Hinn blows on you, you fall over and you get zapped with it. That's what he's saying. Well, he says, I'll end here before I begin a dissertation, regardless of where we may differ, e.g., and uh, Mike is going to say amen to this, I can't really see Protestantism as much more biblical than Catholicism in terms of ultimate effect and treatment of my nation. Now he's talking about Israel. And we have a video that we just finished called Israel, Islam, and Armageddon that will give you the truth about what's happening over there. I think it's a powerful presentation, but also the gospel to Muslims and to Jews and to people in America who think they're Christians. I never hesitate to acknowledge friends of the House of Israel and your stance regarding the purity of biblical Christianity makes you just that. I take it that you won't be up for next year's Templeton Prize. <laughs> that was from a talk Dave Hunt gave about the seduction of Christianity, which was also a book that he wrote. A very good book. I, I highly recommend it. Another book that I can highly recommend um, was called A Different Gospel by D.R. McConnell. Now, if you look very carefully, you can see the signs of wolves that have crept into the church. Um, but the biggest problem is... If you actually take a wolf to task, there's always a bunch of sheep protecting them. And they always have a few go-to verses that they use on why you should not say anything about the doctrine that the wolves teach. The first verse they use out of context is, they will always say to you, judge not. As if the verse ends there. 
The actual verse, let's just read it, it's in Matthew 7 verse 1 to 3. Judge not that ye not be judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be, it shall be measured unto you. It's talking about hypocritical judgment. It's not saying anything about not judging. The next verse they will use is, Touch not the Lord's anointed. Uh, Benny Hinn loves that one. He said it a few times. Now they point to the proof texts. Um, they point to Psalm 105.15. Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Now if you look at the passage, it will reveal that it has nothing to do with questioning the teachings of church leaders. In the Old Testament phrase, the Lord's anointed, it is used to refer to kings of Israel. You can look at uh, most, mostly in the book of Samuel for that. It never talks about prophets. In the context of Psalms 105, the reference is to the patriarchs in general. Psalm 105 has nothing to do with the issue of questioning the teachings of any of God's anointed or the kings. In the context of this passage, the words touch and do no harm have to do with inflicting physical harm upon someone. So when these guys say, touch not the Lord's anointed, they are totally ripping this verse out of context, and it's got nothing to do with uh, calling anybody to task on the doctrine they teach. The verse actually deals with inflicting physical harm on someone. The next verse that I think is totally used out of context, um, I know I'm going to get a lot of uh, flack for this one, but here goes anyways. Uh, if you confront a tongue speaker on why it sounds like gibberish that he's speaking, he will often go to the verse uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, and he will say, look, I speak in the tongue of angels. But, um, you know, that is not what the verse is saying. Um, let's put it back in context. Let's read the beginning of that chapter in context. Paul is using hyperbolic language. He's, he's over-exaggerating to make a point. Let's read it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now Paul is saying, even if he spoke in the tongues of angels and did not have love, he would only be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's not saying he's actually doing it. He says that even if he did. Now this can be proved if you go to the next verse. Now uh, they often you know, sort of uh, ignore the rest of the chapter there. They never read the rest of the chapter. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Now is Paul saying here he could fathom all mysteries and that he had all knowledge and that he had all faith? He's not saying he did. He's saying that even if he did and had not love, he was nothing. Paul is not actually saying he did all these things. He's deliberately exaggerating to make a point. And the point is that even if you could do all these things and had not love, it was nothing. It was all worth nothing. Now the next verse that is unbelievably taken out of context is uh, normally done by TV preachers that send you the, you know, the miracle handkerchiefs and, you know, like Oral Roberts once said, uh, he sent he sent the outline of his hand to people and he said, put your hand on his hand and uh, on this piece of paper, and this is the point of contact. And uh, that means we are touching, and we agree on something, and therefore God will do what we want. They actually call this the point of contact teaching. They get this from Matthew 18, verse 19. Let's just read it. Again I say unto you, 
that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. Now, the word touching there, they actually take literally that if you put your hand on the TV, when the preacher puts his hand on the TV, that is what the verse means. Now, the word touching there, if you look at the Greek there, it actually just means regarding. It's regarding a subject. If two of you agree regarding any subject, it shall be done, basically. That uh, that old chapter, though, deals with church doctrine and church uh, discipline. It has um, simply nothing to do with uh, putting your hand on the TV and agreeing with a preacher on what he says. Now, it is true that this happened with Paul. Uh, let's read Acts 19, verse 11 and 12. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. It happened in the day of Paul. Paul was an apostle. It was an apostolic era miracle. Now, there is no indication in the Bible that this kind of thing is normative for today. Now, if you show these guys, you know, the correct uh, context of, of these verses, you know, and these things do not happen today, they will often say to you, but the Bible says we will do greater things than Jesus. Now, if you put that whole idea back in its context and read what Jesus actually said, uh, you know, I, I would just love to know from any person that says that to me, when last did you walk on water or when last did you die for the sins of the world? Now, there's no greater work done ever than Jesus dying for our sins. The greater works that we will do did not mean the quality of work, but the quantity. We were given the great commission, the commission to take the gospel all over the world, and that is what Jesus was referring to. Now, the word of faith movement, or the positive confession movement, they believe that words are, so to speak, containers of power that your words can speak something into existence. Now, they get this from a verse, and I'm just going to read from a website here that I just found, but let me just read what they have to say about calling things into existence. This is from their website. The verse at the beginning of this article shows us exactly what to do when we live by faith. We are to call those things that do not exist as though they did. The Amplified version of Romans 4.17 says it so well and speaks of non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. Faith says, I believe that I have the money that I need, even if it seems that you can't pay the bills. Faith says, my body is healed, even when the doctor has a very negative report. Faith says, my children are obedient and faithful, even when they are acting up. Faith says, my marriage is getting stronger, even when it looks as though you're drifting farther apart. When you're standing in faith, you're agreeing what God's word says, and with how you prayed about the situation, even when it seems there is no change. Now that is not what the verse is saying. They are basically putting themselves in God's shoes, so to speak. Let's actually read the verse. Romans uh, 4 verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who has believed. Even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. The last part of the verse, Even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things 
which be not as though they were. God calls things into reality. He speaks things into existence. We do not do it. We cannot do it. We are not God. The job is taken. Now, these are only a few of, you know, literally thousands of examples of how God's word is taken out of context to push a doctrine that is not biblical. You know, even a guy like, uh, a non-Christian guy like uh, Mahesh Yogi will take Psalm 46 verse 10 and he will apply it to himself and he will say, be still and know that I am God. You know, read it in context. It's not about you. The whole Bible is in fact about Jesus. And that is the main point. That's what we always have to remember. Now, I hope that, uh, you know, just by showing those few examples, you know, I can just sort of show people just to be more vigilant when it comes to listening to preachers. You know, Paul did not take offense when the Bereans checked everything he said out by the word. And whatever preacher is teaching a doctrine, check out what he has to say and compare it to what the word of God says. Check everything I say, and if I made a mistake today, drop me an email, contact me on Facebook. And that's all for today. Thanks, guys. Uh, We will speak to you next time. God bless. Bye-bye. We're not going to take it. There we go. No, we ain't going to take it. Okay, that was Mark Flynn Flack, twisting the word, and we see a lot of it today. What are your guys' thoughts on that topic? Well, it's rife, and I think we need to continue to talk about these things so that people get an understanding of what the truth is. So good on you for bringing that one forth, mate. I, I thought it was good. One thing I can mention is that in the past we used to see a lot of cults, obviously twisting the word. Mm. But today it's sort of growing that people inside the church – Mm. is doing it. Not always by accident. It's um, quite deliberate these days by a lot of them to manipulate people, you know, to get money or to get whatever. So, yeah. And Andy, what can you tell us? Your, your thoughts, Andy? Um, to illustrate how we can twist things, I thought I'd share just a little wisdom from my Latin teacher who mm. told us the other day about, you know, the well-known rhyme, Hickory Dickory Dock. Hickory Dickory Dock, the mice ran up the clock. The clock struck one, and the rest of them got away with minor injuries. That's all I have to say. (laughs) And a pounding headache. And a very pounding headache. So I hope that illustrated Mm. it. Mm. Yeah. See, sorry, I've got a bit of a cough still from from being sick. But uh, you know the the basic principle is context. Mm. It's always the three basic rules, context, context, context. And... I'll tell you a story and you tell me what you think after that. It's obviously not a true story, but let me just tell you a story. My father came home 12 o'clock every night and we never saw him. What kind of dad do you think he was, if you were judging by that? Well, if you just... Probably not a good one, right? Yeah, if you just base it on that, he Mm. wasn't there. Now, let me give you some context. The reason why I came home 12 o'clock every night is because he had two jobs to support the family and to put food on the table. And we always had what we needed. Mm. Now, if you take that, you know, that same sentence, you come to a totally different conclusion, wouldn't you? Right. And I mean, one could even, like, if you're going to really stretch that illustration, mm. you know, one could even yeah. say 
the term we never saw him could be taken out of context too because exactly. actually it might just be that you're sleeping at 12 o'clock at night and so therefore you never saw him sure. when he came home. Mm. So it doesn't mean that you never saw him ever. It just means that at 12 o'clock midnight when he came home, he actually yeah. you know, was the only one awake. So all of that could be twisted and taken out of context. Mm. So I think it's a very good illustration. It is. And, yeah, it's, and, it's and just to illustrate yeah, uh, how, how quickly we can take a Bible passage right out of context without actually having the background information. Hmm. That's right. And, and um, as you said, context is everything in hermeneutics. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. And often it is just to suit you know, what they want to hear. They already have determined mm, yes. what they want to know, and so they, they find something that suits that um, rather than just having it be what it is. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the new kind of preaching so to speak, instead of doing verse-by-verse verse Bible exposition or something, mm. what they do is they actually get a thought on, or an idea, whether it be the health and wealth or whatever it is, they get the idea and then they go to the Bible and look for verses to prove it. Mm. So they're picking verses randomly yeah. out of it. So, so they, they're basically doing it totally in reverse. Instead of reading the Bible and getting your doctrine from it, they get a doctrine and then they go to the Bible to find verses to support it. It's, it's totally in reverse, and, and obviously you cannot come to the right conclusion with that. Even though they think they are. <laughs> but it's interesting. It yes. is interesting yeah. just to see how common that is. I think it mm. is very rife in many churches. Cool. Indeed. So what, <laughs> what's up next for us? Well, what were we going to do? Oh, we need to go over to Cliff because he's waiting for us. So let's give him a quick okay. call. It's One second. Mm-hmm. This is Vlad. I can't come to the phone right now. I am busy exterminating the roaches. <laughs> Once again... Welcome to my house. Come freely. Go safely. And meet something of the happiness you bring. So we were going to discuss where you've just come back from. I believe you mm-hmm. had a little trip around Turkey, as you normally do this time of year. So we just thought we'd find out a little bit more about that. Well, I wasn't Turkey. Uh, I, I went up to Romania to visit a friend up there. And, uh, yeah, Bucharest. The uh, home of Dracula. The uh, home of uh, Vlad. Vlad. Vlad Dracula. <laughs> I did get a, a few pictures of one of the places that he was associated with in Bucharest. In fact, I, I we had dinner right across the street from there. Um, mm. And it was a very pleasant uh, stay up there. I really didn't do a whole lot. I, I went to uh, only one museum. Mm-hmm. And they have tons of museums. So they're, they're famous for the museums. I went to the museum of, uh, well, the Peasants Museum is what they call it. The Peasants Museum. Hmm. 
Yeah, the Peasants Museum. And it was actually started during communist times. It's kind of dedicated to peasant life and lifestyle and stuff. And uh, it was, you know, common everyday things like people's clothes. Mm-hmm. And you saw the traditional dress of the average person outside of the main cities for like the last probably a hundred years or maybe a little longer. And a lot of beautiful homemade work. It, it's just uh, really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things they would wear. Uh, some of the clothes were just gorgeous. Some of them were like, you know, you look at it and go, people really wore that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, but it, was, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, you, you know, you'd see uh, the mannequins with the men's hats, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the whole costume. Uh, there were a couple with fezes. With fezes? Uh, the fez was... Yeah, the fez was. Um, okay. Yeah, the fez. Uh, uh-huh. It was more of a Turkish thing to wear, but there was a, a, a point at which Romania was under Turkish uh, authority. Hmm. That really wasn't all that long ago. It was 1700s, I believe. Wow. So there was a, so, a certain amount of a residual Turkish influence. My favorite part of the museum there was the icons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of them were very uh, crude. Uh, they were, you know, they were made by local people. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes they weren't terribly realistic looking, but there was always that uh, energy in it, you know, that, well, you know, when you when you compare art from different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually see certain differences. And there's a sort of obvious direction that art took in uh, Romania. And it came from a, a number of uh, places. I mean, first of all, they were uh, a Roman people. They, they spoke a Latin language. So they had their history from there, but also from the various uh, conquerors that ran through the country. Uh, so, yeah, you, you would see a lot of uh, influence, like, from Russia and, and also from Greece. Uh, the Orthodox Church is uh, the main church there. Although they, they have a very uh, strong Catholic and uh, also Protestant uh, tradition there. Uh, a lot of people don't know about that. Oh. The Germans uh, brought Lutheranism there at a very early point. Mm-hmm. And there's still Germans living there, and uh, there have been Protestants ever since. Uh, in fact, a lot of the newer churches are actually uh, evangelical. Wow. But they never lost their faith, I mean, uh, even with communism. And communism has affected the uh, the culture very strongly, and that's one of the reasons they even had the museum there in the first place. And with the icons, uh, that was that was new. Uh, Ceausescu, uh, the, the the last communist dictator, was very hard on uh, religion, hmm. and uh, it was part of the reason that they dragged his body through the street wow. as they did. But they had a whole church in there at the museum. Yeah, yeah, wow. they picked it up and carried it in. It's a it's an old wooden, uh, really it looked like a shack, you know, wow. like a oh I don't know, it was like about the size of a. Two or three room house, you know, that you see like Beverly Hillbillies kind of thing. It was, it was about that size and about that kind of a make, uh, and it had a had an altar in the front. Uh, although they they'd removed the icons, those were in the other room. Mm-hmm. But they showed pictures of it and when it was still functioning, you know, with the roof and it had a high roof on it and had a small spire with a with a bell. Hmm. So you know, I mean, it was a full fledged functioning church. Uh, although I'll tell you what, people were really short. <laughs> you look at the doorway and it's like yeah to get in I'd have to bend over to get you know, walk in this thing uh, but uh but once you got in you know with the high roof it wouldn't be so bad wow. 
But yeah, they had all kinds of stuff like that. They had a peasant house there, mm-hmm. you know, with the porch, and uh, they had the furnaces and everything. Uh, pop, there wasn't a pot belly stove, but they had a, a metal stove and, you know, just all the different things that people would make, uh, the rugs, uh, handmade rugs, hmm. just uh, beautiful work. Wow. The glasswares that went into place, you know, I mean, the, the, the house looked like somebody was living in it, you know, they had wow. the clothes hanging up and everything else. It's it just uh, just incredible little things like that. Oh, hey, listen, so I know that sometime in the near future we're going to do a complete show on Dracula slash Vlad the Impaler. Yep. So I don't want to ask you too much, but what is the association okay. with Vlad? Can you give us a brief, let's call it a teaser of what we might talk about in the future? Because soon oh, I sure. found out that you're actually heading for Romania. That's what I wanted to ask you about. What's I went the, up there. Uh, I, I was mostly uh, wanting to see my friend Juan. He's he's a good friend. I I've missed him a lot over the years, and just seeing him was really worth the trip. But uh, some of the things around there, you know, the history of with Dracula uh, has been a, a fascination of mine for a long time. And I would consider Dracula probably the last of the Crusaders. Well, they say Voivod of Wallachia. And Wallachia is the uh, Latin-speaking area right there underneath the Carpathians and along the uh, Danube. And it, it goes up into the Carpathians a bit, but it, it's more the lowland area. And he was the uh, the lord of that. He also had authority over places like Transylvania, which was partly uh, Hungarian and Sekli. Uh They claim to be descended from uh, Attila the Hun, but that's not likely. Uh, they're, they're some kind of cousins of the Hungarians. And also through uh, different areas, all the way up to Moldova, which uh, was an independent uh, fiefdom. But he he ruled what is mostly now Romania, and he was uh, actually brought down to. Uh, uh, I thought it was Bursa, but uh, I was wrong. It's actually Adrianople, which is uh, Edirne. The Ottomans had moved their uh, capital to Edirne as they were concentrating on overthrowing uh, Constantinople itself. So they moved from Brusa then, and uh, they, they didn't long. Hey, hey, Cliff? Mm-hmm? Can I read you a line from a, a well-known work and then ask you a question about it? Sure. How good and thoughtful he is. The world seems full of good men, even if there are monsters in it. <laughs> it's um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. You see, I try to be a bit dramatic there. Oh, that, no, that's, that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Bram Stoker get the idea from Dracula from, and what is it? What is the association between that and Vlad? Like, like, just give us a take. Well, well, it's that. it's fantasy mostly. Uh, okay, there's a big difference between the guy himself and the legend that surrounded him. Okay, and 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 there's a certain amount of legend that's true. There's also certain other legends and folklore and everything else that kind of got attached to it. And the world at that time was a very, very violent and brutal place, especially in the Balkans and in the fighting between the uh, Ottoman Turks and the uh, Greeks and the other peoples of the world. And it was vicious, just totally vicious. And like I say, uh, Vlad had been a... He and his brother had been uh, hostages at at, uh, the Ottoman court. His brother, and there's a lot of speculation there, but his brother uh, became a Muslim. And the Ottomans were very keen to put him on the throne. But uh, they they hadn't quite taken over yet. Uh, I mean, they they were starting to make claims on Wallachia. 
and for obvious reasons they didn't want to give that up and so there were there was going to be fighting there was no question about it and this is after kosovo and you know they had already run bulgaria most of greece almost all of albania up through uh, right up to the doorstep of belgrade and this is this has been a constant state of war and after they took constantinople with the help mind you of a uh, Wallachian uh, cavalry uh, also uh, serbian cavalry greek <laughs> you know, Albanian, all those people, they were part of the uh, siege because they were fiefdoms or they were completely dominated by the uh, Ottomans. So they were part of it. And they were also trying to stay independent. And so was Hungary. Hung- Hungary would fall too. And then for about 100 years, there were fights right there at the gates of Vienna. Mm. So you had a very bloody world. I mean, it was just vicious, vicious. And, and Fatih was a very interesting guy. I mean, he was very aesthetic. He was also a sadist. I mean, he he got his kicks. Dig this. He got his kicks throwing people he didn't like into a furnace and listening to their head pop. You know, so this gives you kind of an idea what kind of a world you're living in. I mean, it's just vicious. So when they sent Drac back, you know, he, he was in, you know, all kinds of political nonsense, too. But he was bound and determined to fight against the Turks. He, he, he learned to hate them. And the first time that they tried to invade him, he just tore them apart. <laughs> he decimated the whole army, and, and he impaled uh, all the survivors. Hmm. And, and the, the highest-ranking guy was on the highest pole. <laughs> oh Imagine that. And, and he had a real thing about impaling people, and, and it's a very cruel way to kill people. And he had a real thing for it, but I think it was mostly for the dramatic effect, because uh, everybody could see it. You know, I mean, there wasn't any hiding it. And when Fatih was fighting against him, he, he himself had taken an army across the border and saw a, a forest of uh, his own people impaled on it. And he was reported to have said, uh, how can you fight against an enemy such as this? And he turned around and went back home. He finally got him, but it took some doing. And then, you know, of course, he, he just recently made news, uh, which really brings up some questions as to whether or not they actually got his head. But they supposedly got his head from the tomb and put it up here in Constantinople uh, to brag about how they finally knew that Dracul was dead. See, see, the thing is, is that the people that hated him had their own reasons to. And, you know, the, the, we, we get into all kinds of nonsense when we start talking about, you know, his, the history is written by the victors. Okay, yeah, yes it is, but no it's not. I mean, there's there's a certain degree in which that is true, but there's some liberties they can't take. So one of the things about him was he, he was not always very popular. In fact, uh, for a little while, they backed Radu, even though he was a Muslim. But uh, they turned against him, too, and uh, Drek came back. <laughs> Drek, Drek was the original comeback kid. He made Clinton look uh, look really pretty insignificant that way. Huh. He was a pretty amazing character, uh, put that way. So at any rate, when he... Uh, died it was in battle and they secreted his body somewhere and then uh, supposedly after the uh, turks had taken over that area they uh, supposedly pulled the head out of the uh, tomb and just put it on display over here and if that is the case then okay but uh, there's some people that think that he was buried in italy and his daughter was there i mean she would have been able to have gotten the body and given it a decent burial if that is the case they didn't get his head, and they had to make up the story. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So this is news now. So I, I'm really interested in what they find, because that'll put a different spin on everything. Right. But the uh, the people that hated him the most were basically the Turks. 
Okay, so there were a lot of scary stories that were coming out of Turkey here and going up to really what became Protestant uh, northern Germany. And those stories actually started making their way through after the Reformation. So this goes back to kind of some of the things that were happening with Shabtai's V sometime later, too. Kind of a similar process in which uh, the, the stories from around here were popping up in England and Germany. Wow. And so they were getting the worst press possible about him. And then when they would talk, about, would talk to people from there, there were people that didn't like him. The, the German traders, the trade cities of Transylvania, uh, was it Brasov, I think, CBU. Uh, those, those cities, They're, I think was, they call them Seven Sisters or something like that. Hmm. And they didn't like him because he was always taxing them very hard. And he, he came down pretty hard on them and periodically would uh, impale a couple, <laughs> just, wow. just to make an example out of them. Wow. Well, they weren't terribly cooperative uh, all the time. You know, hmm. they, they didn't want to pay taxes. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to do that. They were semi-autonomous. Hmm. So he would have problems with them. And so it was kind of natural that they wouldn't really care much for his rule. So between the Turkish stories and the stories from the Germans that were in there, uh, it was it was pretty easy to paint him pretty black, and they did. And they talked about how bloodthirsty he was, how he would uh, sometimes have dinner in the middle of a, a forest of dying people being impaled. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of stories like this that I'm going to relate when we actually do the program. He was ghoulish and bloodthirsty and, and really nasty. But there were also some other legends from that area of the world, uh, Transylvania in particular, which uh, is part Hungarian and part Romanian and part German. Hmm. And uh, there's even Poles there. Okay, so there, there, it's, a, it's a polyglot all by itself. And then there, there were Turks there too uh, by that time. But the stories of vampires uh, was a very common one from that area and and really all over uh, all over Romania and the Balkans. I mean, you get into uh, a lot of stories about vampires in Serbia and uh, Albania and uh, even Poland has quite a bit on it. A vampire, W A M P Y R, very common spelling for it and. Uh, they're really not very hot spelled anyway. But that's what you would see. And they would talk about how these creatures would uh, feast on the blood of the living. And so some of that got kind of plastered onto him. So you had uh, Stoker with his story, which was a great story. And as far as it went, uh, he did do some very remarkable research. He, he never went there. But his account of traveling through the mountains from Vienna to uh, Budapest to... I, I think he went to, I might be wrong, but Turgovica, I think, was uh, the city that he went to, which was Dracula's old capital, and that's where uh, the castle was. Wow. And I could be wrong. I, I, it's been a while since I've read it. But, uh, yeah, because but he did do some... was Irish, right? Yeah, yeah he was Irish. Hey, did you know that he was a member of the Golden Dawn? Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah he, he was a member of the Golden Dawn. He and... Uh, Oh, goodness. Well, well, Crowley, of course, but uh, he didn't like Crowley, from what I understand. I, I understand he was basically more of a good Catholic. But this is Vlad. Have you tried the goulash? It is very good. <laughs> One good bite deserves another. Badoom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh boy. All right.
Um, over <laughs> to you, Andy. <laughs> yeah, this is starting to sound a bit more like a market show. <laughs> you know those two guys? I always think of you two as those two guys in the balcony, those two old guys, always uh, cracking jokes. <laughs> I just thought I'd share. Here we get with context again <laughs> because I've never watched The Muppets, so I don't know what you're talking no, about. No, <laughs> have you never seen The Muppet Show? No. Cruzy, I'm going to have to educate Gummy you. Gummy bears, all those okay. things, yes. Muppets. I'm going to have to play at least one got the, Muppet Show. The brave childhood, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> okay, where is this going? Where we're going next is um, we're going to go to your flake next, Andy. Cool. So we're going to share a story based in, I, I suppose, on the border of Armenia. And I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. While Antoninus was still on the throne, it is on record that when his brother Marcus Aurelius Caesar deployed his forces for battle with the Germans and Samartians, his men were parched with thirst and he was in a quandary. But the soldiers of the Melitine Legion, as it is called, through faith which has never wavered from that day to this, as they faced the enemy in their lines, knelt down on the ground, our normal attitude when praying, and turned to God in supplication. The enemy were astonished at the sight, but the record goes on to say that something more astonishing followed a moment later. A thunderbolt drove the enemy to flight and destruction, while rain fell on the army which had called on the Almighty, reviving it when the entire force was on the point of perishing from thirst. The story can be found in the works of writers remote from our way of thinking, who have undertaken to record the reign of these monarchs. It has also been told by our own. The pagan chroniclers, being aliens to the faith, have related the astonishing occurrence, but without acknowledging that it was the result of Christian praise. Our own, being lovers of the truth, have described the event in a simple, guileless fashion. Among these may be mentioned Apollinaris, who says that from then on, the legion which by its prayers brought about the miracle, received from the emperor a title appropriate to the occurrence, being called in Latin the Thundering Legion. A reliable witness of these facts is Tertullian, who in addressing to the Senate his Latin defense of the faith, confirmed the story with a stronger and clearer proof. What he had to say was this, Letters from Marcus, the most sagacious of emperors, were still extant in which he himself testified that in Germany his army had been on the verge of destruction through lack of water, when it was saved by the Christians' prayer, and Marcus had threatened to execute any who attempted to accuse us. Tertullian continues, What kind of laws are these, enforced against us alone by wicked, unprincipled and brutal men, Laws which Vespasian disregarded, though he had conquered the Jews, which Trajan to a large extent set aside when he forbade Christian hunting, which neither Hadrian, in spite of his obsessive interest in all that was mysterious, nor pious ever ratified. Everyone, says Eusebius, must make up his own mind about these matters. So there you go, the story about rain sent from heaven in answer, according to Eusebius, <laughs> to Christian prayers. So what do you think about that, Jim? I like this one. It is very interesting, commonly known as the miracle of the rain. Mm. And in the little bit of research that I've done, and I know that the stuff that you've pointed me to as well, 
There are some people who say different things about this from different angles, that it wasn't a Christian God or a Christian event. So do we have other sources besides Eusebius that talk about that? What do we know? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because it does seem like everyone is keen to claim the victory for their God, <laughs> whichever God that is. And so it was quite interesting when I went to just try and find a little bit more about it. Um, it does seem to be authentic. This happened, right? Right. Marcus right. Aurelius was definitely out with his legion, the 12th, and they were at the edge of defeat, if I can put it that way, because of lack of water. And praise must have happened. Something must have happened. And rain, hail, and lightning um, appeared, and so they were saved. So I find it really interesting, but I'm going to read a little section. I say little, it's not that little, sorry. <laughs> I wish it were. <laughs> but um, this is actually out of the Catholic Encyclopedia, just to give a bit of background to this. And it's actually just titled The Thundering Legion. Um, when the Emperor Marcus Aurelius led an expedition against the Quadi in 174, his army, exhausted by thirst, was on the point of falling an easy prey to the enemy. It was then that the soldiers of the 12th Legion, which was composed of Christians, prayed to their guard for health. Forthwith, a heavy thunderstorm arose, bringing the desired relief to the Romans, but terrifying and dispersing the barbarians. Hereupon, the emperor issued a decree forbidding the persecution of the Christians, and to the Twelfth Legion he gave the surname of Fulminata, or Fulminia, that is, thundering. So we'll look into that now and see whether or not this is actually true. Yeah, because there's a wide range of sources, isn't there? Because right. Eusebius is quoting Tertullian, isn't it? He quotes Tertullian, and I think he also quotes Apollinaris. Okay, all right. So it just says, yeah. uh, this is going back to the Catholic Encyclopedia. The earliest reference to this occurrence is from a Christian source made by Tertullian. He is quoted by Eusebius, who we've just referenced. And Eusebius also cites Apollinaris of Hierapolis, a contemporary of Aurelius, as an authority for the alleged miracle. Later Christian authorities are Orosius, Gregory of Nyssa, Jerome and Cephalinus. <laughs> Heaven help me with these names. Um, it's, pagan that's writers. easy for you to say. Yeah, it's always easy for me to say, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> pagan writers also testify to the miraculous thunderstorm, but they ascribe it either to the prayers of the emperor um, or to the incantations of the Egyptian magician Anufius, who accompanied the Roman army. On a coin struck by the emperor... You like these kind of stories, don't you? And on the Antonine column in Rome, the miracle of the thunderstorm is represented as wrought by Jupiter. So everyone's claiming their God did this. The mass of historical evidence, as seen above, leaves no room for doubting the occurrence of the thunderstorm. The researches of Moyle Mosheim, and especially the more recent ones of Lightfoot, Lightfoot Harnack and others have led to the following almost universally accepted results. A detachment of the 12th Legion, which was regularly stationed at Melitene in Armenia and comprised of many Christians, took part in the expedition against the Quadi, and it is probable though not certain that the miraculous thunderstorm was an answer to their prayers. The name Fulminatrix was not given to the legion on this occasion, but there existed since the time of Augustus a Legio Fulminata or Fulminia, probably called thus from the representation of lightning on their armour. 
the letter generally appended to the Apology of Justin, which Marcus Aurelius is said to have written to the Senate concerning the miraculous thunderstorm, and in which he is said to have forbidden the further persecution of the Christians, is either a forgery or it was interpolated to suit the Christians. It is an established fact that the persecution of Christians became even more cruel shortly after this incident. So that is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, and there are some yes. interesting little things that they bring up there. Um, yeah. But, yeah, have you got anything to add, G? Yeah, I was thinking, it's interesting, I, I tried to do a little bit of research on this 12th Legion, and I thought I'd heard of them somewhere before, because they were involved in the, the Great Jewish Revolt, which eventually led to the siege and fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Right. Now, in that one, they were actually given a bloody nose by the rebels, and they even lost their aquila, you know, the eagle standard, the mm. eagle that sits on top of the standard. Now, in Roman times, this was a very embarrassing event mm. to lose your aquila or to lose your standard. Now, that's not to say that the same uh, men were involved because that happened about 100 years before, but I just thought it was an event worth pointing out that this legion had been around for quite some time. Right. And afterwards as well. Because I also found out that this unit was also still guarding the Euphrates River at the beginning of the 5th century. Hmm. And um, at that time, still, the Legion's emblem was a thunderbolt. Wow, um, interesting. Also interesting, too, because, you know, I like to look at archaeological stuff. If you look at, and you, and you did mention it in the Catholic Encyclopedia reading as well. But if you look at other things like the column of Marcus Aurelius in Rome, there is a panel there where the miracle of the rain is depicted and there's a detail there. And the event in the picture is is called the rain miracle in the territory of the Quadi or Quadi. Mm -hmm. And they say that, you know, most of the descriptions of this say a god, a small g god, mm -hmm. answering a prayer from the emperor rescues the Roman troops by a terrible storm. And some of the writers put this as a miracle later claimed by the Christians for their Christian God, right? Right. But I've snagged a photo of that rain miracle segment from that column, and I'll send it to you, and maybe we can put it in the show notes for people yeah. to have a look at. Yeah. And it depicts a God. You can see this God raining down while there's a battle or something going on. So, mm. so it's a bit hard to say what's going on here. The event definitely did happen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm leaning towards what the Catholic Encyclopedia said, that perhaps, I said perhaps, because still I'm, you know, I'm not certain, but perhaps there were a number of Christians in mm -hmm. that legion and they did pray, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's interesting. Yeah, I think that that's what drew me to the story is because, I don't know, somehow I think in my in my mind I, I tend to separate Roman soldiers from being Christians and there is yeah. evidence obviously that they were even in the Bible there are a number of stories where you see a centurion coming to Jesus and others you know who who kind of do give their lives to the Lord it, am I correct I, I should have really looked this up before we did this but am I correct in saying that even on the cross there was Jesus spoke to one of the soldiers um, yeah, one of them point. said, this man truly was the Son of God. That's right, yeah. Let me, let, let me look it up and I'll get the Bible verse. Yeah. So it's from Matthew 27, verse 54. Mm -hmm. um, now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly this was the Son of God. Mm -hmm. 
So that's that reference. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, actually. Mm. Amazing. So at least, you know, it does show this kind of crossover because somehow, I don't know, maybe it's just in the way that I've read the Bible and then not put it into Roman times. And I think that that's what's become quite interesting to me now is to start to try and see how history um, does play a role in how we should read and understand what we're reading about, you know. So the idea Definitely. that some of these Roman soldiers could very well have been Christians and mm. would have prayed to God, I think is, is actually an incredible thing to consider. When we think of the mighty Roman armies, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I found Just really as we have many believers in modern armies, right? Of course. Uh, the other thing about this, which I like as well, is that you do get several different opinions on, this is what history is all about, trying to seek the truth, you know. Mm, mm. And you do have a number of different sources and another different number of different ways that it's put you've got some say that it's the the christian god some say it's jupiter some say it's a god you know yeah, um but that's what right. hi history is about you've got to try and dig through to find out what the truth is so it's like a you've got to be a little bit of a sleuth don't you and, and dig through the information to find the the truth and it's it's interesting it's what i like about history and archaeology because quite often it's not clear cut that's right. I mean, it's quite interesting mm. that you mentioned that because, you know, I've been reading this little book. It is actually one of those set books that um, I don't know if you remember our, our discussion with Professor Bock, um, Daryl mm -hmm. Bock, the other day and um, how I said, look, I'd love to just look at a little bit more into some of the things that you're teaching and, and, and doing. And I, I went to his site. Um, I say his site. It's the Dallas. I think it's Dallas uh, Seminary. I can't remember exactly, but I just went to go and have a look there because he mentioned one of the courses being online and that one could do it there. And I just went oh, to go DTS. and have a look at the actual, that's right, yeah, that's exactly the run. And um, so I went to go just look at the book list and um, got a couple of the books that pertained particularly to the early church and Roman times, et cetera, et cetera, <clears throat> and trying to understand it in that period. Because that's really, yeah. as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm keen on, on trying to look at, at that period and trying to understand it a bit better. So um, I got some of those books, and the one set book was uh, The Lost Letters of Pergamum. And it's quite an interesting little book. It, it is something that is fiction but it is based on a lot of historical fact. And so right. the basic premise is just uh, letters from Luke and how they get to the main character of the story and um, how it evolves over time. And there's many things that I've learned from it, but the one thing that you learn is back in the day how much they valued information and what they would do to try and store that in their libraries, etc., etc. And it mm -hmm. gave me a little bit of insight even into what Eusebius must have gone through where he was trying to gather information from various yeah. sources to yeah. make what he wrote credible. And we are in such an amazing position today that we do have so much information at our fingertips that we can go and, you know, relate some of these stories back to what um, there is historically found or archaeology or in any of those kind of fields to try and verify facts where they did not really have that back in the mm. day. Yes. And when you think of what they went through to get that, how many days right. ride it would have taken That's for right. just one little letter to come, you know. Yes. And, yeah, it's incredible. Well, I'm glad that you're getting into this, Andy, because we we're needing you to bring some of this uh, Latin forth. In fact, when I was Latin. reading some of this stuff, 
Well, I was going to ask you how to pronounce some of these words because, well, as our audience now knows, you're you're our Latin expert, and I thought, oh, I need to know. I was going to ask you how to pronounce these words, like the um, the eagle, the aquila, mm. aquila. Am I have I got that right? I'm sure you do. Yes. Full <laughs> 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 ah, of beans, Mister GK. <clears throat> I have to assume you do, and we'll just say yes. Assume, but you're the yes. expert. How, why, why are we assuming you're the expert? Because I want to see a Latin segment soon. Like oh, we've you got do. Yeah. Greek, you know, Greek spot. I want to see a Latin spot. Yeah. I'm sure people are. They just can't wait. They can't wait to hear Latin. Do you know how many emails we've had asking for a Latin spot? Um, zero is my guess. Actually, you're correct. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I, I could actually just read a little bit from uh, the Wikipedia entry, actually, about this uh, legio duodecima fulmata. <laughs> Would that help you? <laughs> the legion, the, the 12th legion, um, which is also known as the 12th legion armed with lightning. So this is actually mm. from the Wikipedia entry. Um, the other mm. talks about thundering. So I guess that's just going to be how you interpret your Latin. It's also known as paterna which would be father something or other, paternal, I guess, victress mm -hmm. antiqua, curta, constance, and galena. Um, it was a Roman legion originally levied by Julius Caesar in 58 BC. So I think the Catholic Encyclopedia talks about it going back to the time of Augustus, but it looks like it might have been even a little bit earlier than that. Even so I find then. that quite interesting, yeah. And it was, yeah, so levied by Julius Caesar and um, it accompanied him during the Gallic Wars until 49 BC. The unit was still guarding the Euphrates River, just as you mentioned earlier there, G, crossing the Melitene at the beginning of the 5th century. So, so the, the legions, yeah. So that, is that the last yeah. reported thing that you think um, they That's were talking what, about? Yeah. The legion's emblem was a thunderbolt, a fulman. Um, in mm -hmm. later centuries, it came to be called commonly, but incorrectly, the Legio Fulmatrix, the Thundering Legion. So that's just a little bit about its beginning. Cool. Eusebius obviously talks about it being named at the time of that battle, but it looks mm -hmm. like that is incorrect. Historically, mm. that's incorrect. Yeah, they already had that designation before then. Yeah, and also the little lightning bolt or thunderbolt. As you yeah. Know. Yeah. Did you say a symbol that was already there? Yeah. So, cool. yeah, find it interesting, huh? Mm, very interesting. Well, thank you for joining me, as always, <laughs> for my little flip and um, Great. And I hope this was interesting, and I hope it encourages you to go and find out some more. We'll certainly put up some of the show notes and um, go have a look at it and draw your own yes. conclusions, <laughs> is what yes. I like to say. Mm. Yes, we can put the links up and I'll end the photograph I think would be interesting for people to see that I enjoyed this particular flake Andy because it has that bit of a mystery to it that we discussed you know you have the uh, the pagan angle on it, and then you have the Christian angle on it, and you need to dig deeper and investigate to find out what the truth is. Because I mean, it's not scripture we're discussing, so it's not the end of the world whether you decide. But which way you come down on it, it's not the end of the world because it isn't scripture. Mm. 
Uh, that picture I sent you, Andy, we're going to put that up in our show notes. That was quite interesting. Did you get a look at that? Yeah. Whatever that thing is on that artwork, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can say that no, right now. But it so that definitely has a, a Roman type yeah, of yep. feel to it, yes, doesn't definitely. it? Yeah. And I think they would have said that that was Jupiter. Right. That's what I understood. But very interesting. Go and have a look. We'll put mm. in the show notes and go cool. check it out. Yeah. So, so what's up next, uh, G? Do you want to share a little bit about our next? Yeah, this um, final flake that we're going to do is our special guest. As you said, we've got a special guest flake in this episode, and it's with Frank Johnson. If you look back in our archive, as I mentioned earlier, we did a whole interview with Frank. Now, Frank, among other things, mm. he writes some articles for the Ancient Aliens Debunked website, so people might know him from there, or um, he's quite well known in, you know, on Facebook. Um, but this little flake here is really totally unrelated to the work that he's done before, and it's a little bit more personal discussion about disappointment and dealing with it. So let's have a listen, see what you think. It's one of those ones where I think if you've ever wondered, oh, why me, or why is this happening to me, or, you know, I think you'd be able to relate to this, and um, I know it's Frank's desire that others benefit from the discussion. So here it is. This is our special guest, Frank Johnson. Well, this is GK, and on the line with me, I've got Frank Johnson. Um, Frank has been on our show before. You can go to our archives and look into show number six and to hear the complete show there that we did with Frank. But um, but right now, we're going to get um, Frank on board with us to do a, a flake for our Flint Flake show that you're listening to right now. So, g'day, Frank. How you going, mate? G'day, mate. G'day. Uh, g'day, oh, Bruce. <laughs> Listen, really, the 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 flake is um, that we're doing here is a lot to do with um, stuff that you and I have been talking about privately. And then um, I'm glad you suggested that perhaps we could share it with people, and I hope they do find it interesting and uplifting. So, um, so do you want to kick us off and just tell our audience how we got to this point that we decided to do this flake, and then um, tell us the topic. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me back, G. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've been kind of having some issues and struggles with, uh, you know, just general work issues and kind of uh, getting used to some changes at work and also, you know, reflecting on my career path and how it's not really working out as, as well as I had hoped. But um, all of that has been kind of been really discouraging and you know, as we've been kind of talking privately, um, that that has helped a bit. And uh, but what what helped even more was you know go, going to to God's Word and finding some some verses that really just kind of helped me refocus on the the longer term kind of eternal perspective. And and you know it's been a, qu- quite easier to to deal with some of the challenges that have been coming up. So I just kind of thought you know. Um, I'd like to share some of the verses and and hope that it helps other people who may be going through other struggles or even the same kind of struggles with their work and whatever. So, yeah, I had kind of gone from, um, you know, it's all all the work I've been doing lately is is in in the call center, which is uh, 
if anyone works in a call center, it, it can be stressful at times. But uh, I had actually hit on a pretty, a, a more laid back version of that, and it was easy to settle into that. And then, you know, some staffing things happened, and uh, you know, I was asked to move to something a, a bit more stressful, and that's kind of been, you know, wearing at me. And I think what what kind of got me even more is like, it's kind of a similar environment to what I had kind of dealt with in my early 20s as a as a young Christian and so I'm just kind of trying to find you know what am I supposed to be learning from this what am I you know just kind of stressing out about all of that so so that's kind of like trying to find out why am I going through the same trials again why am I uh you know so so how did you deal with it what were the what were the steps now um I know that um because we we're we're in the same sort of Facebook groups and that Mm -hmm. um uh, I know prayer was very important. Um, can, mm. you, can you tell the audience about that process there, how, uh, you know, just asking others for prayer and what, what happened there? Sure, yeah. I, I put out a, uh, a, you know, just a short uh, kind of stressed prayer request out on the uh, Facebook group there. And, you know, uh, not only did, did you, like, uh, message me privately, but, you know, several people, they... Uh, you know, kind of just put in that they're they're praying for me, and you know, I, I had put out some prayer requests on the on the message board, and mm. um, you know, people had you know responded that they're praying for me and uh, given me just a, a couple of small verses, maybe, and then and then I I just kind of remembered I had this book at home with all these different verses and looked into that, and you know, they had all these verses that you you can look up for different. Uh, circumstances and that mm-hmm. you know everybody praying for me and kind of encouraging me on the on the on the board reminded me of that and i'm like oh hey maybe i should you know turn to god's word and <laughs> yeah you know so yeah and so when you did that what were the um like i know you came up with a couple of well actually you sent me a whole heap of scriptures but what were the couple that stood out to you most that helped you through because i know that you're mm-hmm. um you've told me that you're in a better place now uh, like the problem's not actually solved, but you're mm-hmm. feeling better about it now, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it kind of started with uh, I think Cruzy had put in a comment, uh, you know, because I had jokingly put in a uh, you know name it and claim it kind of thing, and I said, "Hey, Cruzy, what's the uh, what, what kind of verse can you give me so I can grab?" You know, <laughs> as a joke, and he you know he put in, "Let your lamp be or let your word be a lamp unto my feet," and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, hey." you know god's word so that, that was one that kind of you know struck me as hey go to god's word and then I was, I was looking through the book um one of the ones that jumped out at me was hebrews chapter 12 verses 6 through 11 and uh if you don't mind i'd, I'd actually just like to read that one and just kind of uh, and actually one more after that i'll introduce okay. too but uh so so here here's hebrews 12 verses 6 through 11 so for for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and lived, live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, 
that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now we now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And then that, that uh, brought me to another one in the book that uh, came up, which was um, Job 23, verse 10. And that, that is, uh, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And so somehow the, the Hebrews verse had kind of reminded me that, you know, uh, probably another verse in scripture where, you know, we're being tried by fire and, and th- that's God refining us, you know. And and so, you know, as Hebrews was saying, that, that chastisement is kind of like the we're being refined with the fire. And then once we're done being refined with the fire, you know, then, you know, God's going to bring us forth as gold, you know, his, his gold for, you know, we, we are his treasure, I guess, because he, he bought us with with a you know steep price and that's that just kind of helped to give me some just helped to call me a lot that you know it's it's hard to go through this kind of stressful situation but you know it's it's going to work out for for my good later you know so so it helped to see you in a different perspective yeah Um, a little bit yeah and like um like many of us in the postmodern church um, we're being told, you know, a lot of us are having our ears tickled, you know, and we're mm-hmm. told to expect nothing but good things, you know, um, mm-hmm. and and you shouldn't even discuss things that are negative, right? But um, mm-hmm. when you and I were talking about it privately, um, you pointed out to me uh, the Romans eight twenty eight verse, mm-hmm. the well-known one, and we know mm-hmm. that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those are call, who are called according to his purpose. And that mm-hmm. was one that you, you shared with me, That another one that you'd found along the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess, you know, we need to be able to be in a position when we mature as Christians to understand that it's not actually all about being a baby and being um, spoon-fed the whole way. There, there will be things that we, we are going to have to face that are tough, and we mm-hmm. have to stand up and, and, and face them Um God being with us, but not everything is going to be smooth sailing and we shouldn't ex- expect it. Does that sort of ring true? I think definitely so, yeah. Sometimes I think we get in this, you know, everything should be smooth and, and in, in the real world it's mm. it's not. <laughs> That's right. Because while we were talking about it and we were discussing it, um, I was telling you, you know, some of my uh, health issues, I have a, a range of health issues, a very broad range of health issues, but... Um, in past times, you and I have talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that how I um, I ended up in a, a wheelchair about five years ago. To be honest with you, I can't even remember exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But about five years ago, how um, I ended up in a chair, and you know, that changed my life um, mm-hmm. completely, as you could imagine. It changed uh, things uh, financially. Uh, I could no longer live in the house that we were in because it had stairs. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't as mobile as I was. Obviously, you know, <laughs> and and um, and I needed help from others more than I had before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could just think of this whole broad range of things that um, changed all of a sudden for me in that in that moment, I had to find how to deal with that as well. Um, uh-huh. And I don't think I've ever talked about it in any of our recordings, but uh-huh. there was a lot that I had to um, I had to come to terms with, and. Part of that um, is very similar to what you were talking about. Okay, so how do I deal with this? What do I do? 
Yes, mm-hmm. I want to turn to God. Yes, I want to lean on God. Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't think telling me that everything's rosy is, is good because it's not rosy. It's not very rosy. Things are tough. Things have changed. My life's, you know, just done mm-hmm. a complete 180, basically. Um, how do I deal with it? And um, so these are the sort of things you and I talked about that we might want to discuss. And one of the things that I wanted to start off talking about, um, Frank, was was bitterness. Mm-hmm. When when we as believers and even uh, non-believers um, have uh, trials and struggles and tri- tribulation in our life, sometimes, you know, we can become bitter about things like why did God allow this or why did mm-hmm. God let that happen this way and why, did, why is this happening to me? And, mm-hmm. and I think we mustn't allow ourselves to become bitter due to the way that we perceive God is dealing with us. Um, it's all about, you know, that attitude, like I know better than God. It should have gone this way or it should have gone that way. And that's not to say I don't think we should question God. I think we should be talking to him. I think we should be asking him, hey, what's going on? And also, if possible, take this from me. I mean, even even Jesus said that, right? Um but we can't allow bitterness to flourish um, because, you know, if you do that, there's a chance that you might be hindering God. Say you've become so bitter that there's a possibility that you might even fall into sin through that bitterness. Now, um, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that because you don't get what you pray for, that you have some sort of a secret sin. Uh, we've got to be careful of that one. But if you allow bitterness to rise up, you can fall into sin. So be aware of that one. Um I like in the story of Isaiah 38 and um, uh, about King Hezekiah's um, healing. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm actually going to read a fair bit of that. But can I suggest um, that people read the whole chapter for themselves? I'm going to read um, from uh, King Hezekiah. So Isaiah 38 and verse 9. So Hezekiah has been told that he's going to, um, uh, he's become um, mortally ill and he's going to die. And so um, he he cries out to the Lord. Yeah, so then Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays to the Lord, and then he has things changed uh, in his favour. But I just want to hear, uh, we just want to read this bit that Hezekiah says. So from verse 9, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning, like a lion. So he breaks all my bones. From a day until night, you make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I Twitter. And that's not Twitter as in we're sending messages and tweeting. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. So I want to want to focus on this um, this part here where he talks about the bitterness. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and let me live. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness, 
It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Now, verse 17 can actually be a little bit tricky, but I think it's saying instead of peace or prosperity, I had bitterness. But then we mm-hmm. see God is merciful and he shows his great love. So I really encourage others to read all of, all of Isaiah chapter 38. But I guess what I'm saying is try and avoid that root of bitterness. You know, we know that um, what happens if we don't receive what Hezekiah received? What happens if God doesn't hear us and respond in the, in the way that we're expecting? Um, we know in Hebrews 12:15 it says not to allow the root of, root of bitterness to spring up. And um, we can go to Paul in 2 Corinthians, the well-known chapter about Paul's thorn. No matter what that thorn may have been, Paul writes that, hang on, wait a minute. Let me look at this. It's probably worth reading this out. Probably should have done that. And maybe um, while you're looking that up, this is a good time to jump in with that verse because, you know, the bitterness, I think, maybe, at least in my own experience, comes from, me thinking, no, God's not going to answer my prayer. He's not hearing me. He's just going to let me tough it out. But really, you know, God is is with us in our suffering, and I, you know, it's it's everywhere in the Scripture. But specifically, I found uh, Psalm thirty four, verse seventeen through nineteen. Um, I'll just read that here quick. Um, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of all, out of them all. And so, you know that it's, it's not maybe explicit, but it's definitely, you know, tells tells us that God knows what we're going through. You know, and I think just that knowledge can, you know, if. If we accept that and we believe it, I think that really can help us to to overcome some of that bitterness and, and tough it out. You know, God gives us the strength because he's with us, you know. Exactly. I agree. And um, I think that's what we've got to do. I think we've got to lean on God, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. no, matter, no matter what we're going through, lean on him and be grateful for the good times. Um, but don't abandon him when it's the tough times because... Um, that's when it's most important that we uh, lean on him to get us through. Um, now, I found that verse. It's, uh, I'll read a couple of verses here. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's to do with Paul's thorn. Okay, so we, we've got Paul here, and he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Okay, so here it is. We're talking about trials, tribulations, difficulties, and we have Paul asking God three times, you you know, deliver me from this thing. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Think about that. I mean, this sounds so opposite to everything we hear mm-hmm. in the postmodern church and in the worldly situation. Therefore, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So 
um, there's mm-hmm. a lot in that that we could probably do a whole show on, but mm-hmm. be encouraged to know that sometimes we go through things and dare I say it, and people, please understand me, we're supposed to go through them. It's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to happen. It's intentional. Yeah. Now, do I think God um, caused me to end up in a wheelchair? I don't know. Have good things come of it? Yes. Have mm-hmm. bad things come of it? Most definitely. But mm-hmm. do I want to stay there? Do I want to be a bit of bitter about it? Is that going to help me or my friends or my family? No, it's not. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when things are really dire, I think we, we have to sort of lean on God and lean on God's grace and, and accept that his grace is sometimes it's going to be all you're going to get. God's grace is mm-hmm. going to be sufficient. So no matter what mm-hmm. comes, we've got to trust in him. And, Amen. and you know, I, I say it quite often. I think sometimes we've got to knuckle down and Isaiah 50 verse 7, set our faces like flint and accept what happens. Um, now, there's going to be some people who will be thinking, oh, man, this sounds really defeatist. Um, uh, GK, you can be healed from that. You can get up out of that wheelchair and you can walk, you know. Uh, you, can, you can walk again and, and all of these sorts of things. But, listen, I believe in healing. And, and I've got to tell you, I've been prayed for many, many times. And I can tell you right now and, and public say, publicly say, I have no secret sin in my life. I don't lack faith. All right. Just understand this, that we look in a dirty mirror now. We're looking through a, an unclean mirror. It's a mirror. It's a glass darkly, as I think the King James Version puts it. We don't know everything. We're not going to know everything. We're not going to know why these things happen. But I think it's our response to, to it is the important thing. So I'm, I'm choosing to, um, now people might say it's defeatist, but I'm choosing to accept my situation rather than fight it because what I found was when I fought against it, when I struggled against it, when I became bitter about it, things got worse. My health got worse. My uh, emotional well-being got worse. And I think what happened was I decided, okay, no, don't worry about that. I'm going to pray for wisdom. I'm going to pray for um, for God to help me persevere through this tough time. And um, also I'm going to pray for trust, to faith, to be able to make it through this. Um, and so really I'm saying it's not about uh, defeat. It's about trusting God as we, as per Romans 8.28, as we said earlier, all things do work together, um, work, to, work for good for those uh, who love God. And so I guess what I'm going to say here, and, and, and people will... I could understand, I can truly understand where people will say, hey, I don't agree. But in my humble opinion, at the end of the day, I think Job was very wise when he said, though he slay, slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Um, so that's Job 13, um, 15. And I think when you can come to a position in your life, no matter what situation you're finding, whether it's work, family issues, uh, illnesses, disability, um, the whole range of things, I think you've got to come to the point when you mature in your Christian walk and say, no matter what happens, I'm holding on to God and I'm going to go through this and I'm going to ask him for wisdom and I'm going to ask him perseverance. Because really, at the end of the day, what else have you got? Most of us, that's all we've got. There's not a lot else you can do. 
Amen. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other than maybe, maybe just saying, you know, maybe, maybe Paul didn't have enough faith. He didn't, he didn't uh, claim the promises, you know, with enough faith, and uh, that's why he was stuck there. But <laughs> uh, Chris is gonna, Chris is gonna love that one. But, but that was um, just for him. Yeah. That was for you, Chris. I knew that. <laughs> but you know, I think the other thing is too. We gotta remain thankful for what we do have. Um, yeah. It's it, it might sound like a cliche um, to say it, but there's always someone worse off. Um, think of other believers in Africa and Asia. They're under heavy persecution. Sometimes they're being murdered for their faith, right? And right. we in the West yeah. have got it so easy, really, compared to that. Let's remain thankful for what we have. Amen. Have this heart of thanksgiving. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Another one, um, first, first Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, so there's two things there. We must pray without ceasing, so never stop praying, no matter what our situation, like I said earlier, whether it's good or it's bad, whether up, we're down, let's continue to pray. But let's always be grateful for our situation, be thankful for what Amen. we have. Amen. Um, now, that's not to say you, you shouldn't pray and ask for God to help you in your situation. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I would say that that's where you ward off those things like bitterness, feeling bad and sorry for yourself, um, uh, feeling down and, and looking around and, and, and thinking the grass is greener on the other side and letting these things get you, get you down. Um, it is a battle in the mind and it is a battle in the spirit and you've got to hang on. Uh, you've got to hold on to God. You've got to um, trust him. And, uh, and for me, in my humble opinion, this is just how I'm dealing with my situation. I've decided to go with it. You might say in poor taste it's a bad joke because of the wheelchair issue, but, man, I'm going to just roll with it. I'm going to go with what he's <laughs> I'm just going with it, man. I'm just going to roll with it because I tried fighting it. I've tried um, arguing with God saying this isn't good enough, you know, where's all these things that I've been promised, okay, and I've decided I'm going to roll with my situation and I'm going to be grateful for what I've got. And um, and uh, for me, once I accepted that and I started applying those things, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm a hero, but once I started applying those things, um, my spiritual and mental situation changed for the better. Now, do I still um, have issues? Indeed, I do. You better believe it. It's it's tough going. I mean, every day is a mental battle. It's a it's a struggle and it's a mental battle. And I'm certain, without God's assistance, I wouldn't have made it to the point where I have, where I can sit here and crack a joke about it. You know, what I'm suggesting, in my humble opinion, is to grab hold of God, grab hold of the Word, pray, seek wisdom, seek wise counsel, listen to others. Uh, Frank's given the example. He put out the word for prayer. He is. He's told me that um, he believes that since he knew that uh, a lot of people were praying for him, his situation changed. He also turned to studying the word. That helped him to deal with his issue. Now, Frank, let's be honest here. Has your issue gone away? 
No, it hasn't. Um, <laughs> surprise, but, you know, surprise. I, yeah, no, but, you know, as you're saying, to be thankful for what you do have, you know, it's the, the, part of the change I had was because um, the department I was in was overstaffed by one person, and so they moved me to the more stressful one, which luckily is, re, you know, really lucky because somebody who had been there had just been fired. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh it could have been me getting fired for being overstaffed, but you know, it's that's something that I found in here to be to be thankful of is it could have been worse, you know. I could have been could have lost my job, but you know, I I have it's stressful, but I have a job at least right now. So Um well the one I'd like to share if we wouldn't if we can finish on this one, um, is uh Hebrews four and fourteen to sixteen and I'll just read this and we can say our goodbyes and finish this little flake here. Um Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that is the essence of what Frank and I are discussing tonight. We need to draw near with confidence. Uh, we need to uh, find grace uh, to help us in a time of need. And I, and I guess that's what we're hoping by this brief discussion, that we can uh, encourage others um, in similar situations or worse situations, um, draw near to God, pray, be confident, have faith, um, set your face like flint, don't turn back, don't turn left or right, don't give up, never run the white flag up the pole, um, stick firm. There's plenty of Bible verses that talk about standing firm and, and persevering. And um, I'd just like to say in, in the good old-fashioned Aussie way, I'll just say, you know, box on, but never give up, box on. Alrighty, so thanks for joining us for that one, Frank, and thank you for suggesting it. I appreciate that. And I hope yeah, you come back. hope you come back. Uh, Frank and do a full show with us soon thank you very much for having me I appreciate it alright take care God bless mate you too alrighty so what did you think of that Andy oh I mean I said this to you before um, when I first heard this this particular flake that you guys had recorded, it really meant a lot to me. Actually, I was close to tears at one stage. I didn't say that to you, but it's true. Because I think everyone can relate to those times where we feel disappointed by something or like we're not getting ahead or that we should be more victorious, yeah. if we can yeah. put it that way. And even what you mm. shared, G, was just mm. so real. You know, that's really where it's at for me. As mm. a Christian, it's not so much we are always, you know, victorious and, and mm. feeling brilliant. You know, sometimes things are tough. But the fantastic thing is to remember that God is with us always. And he knows what's going on, even yeah. when we don't. So I was really encouraged by that. And I hope a lot of, a lot of our listeners felt the same. Yeah, look, thank you for those kind words, Andy. And it, it, it was a little bit different, so it's a bit risky. We don't normally discuss those sort of personal things on our on our flags or in our shows, but Frank and I had been talking for some time about that, you know, back and forth messaging, and um, that was at uh, Frank's suggestion. So thanks, Frank, for the suggestion. I really enjoyed doing that with you. 
mate. And um, yeah. we will yeah. be doing more with Frank in the future. He's got a couple of things up his sleeve. I'm not sure whether they're going to be flake size or complete shows, but when, mm-hmm. when they're ready to roll, we'll have them. So, But, no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing that one with him, and I, I hope people got something out of that. Yeah, I certainly Excellent. did. So thank you so much, Frank, as well. That mm. was really great. Anything you'd like to contribute to that, Cruzy? Oh, I, I just want to say I, I enjoy chatting to Frank online. He's a, he's a super nice guy, very knowledgeable, and I'm convinced he's Batman. But he, he won't he won't admit it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's got a great sense of it's humor. It's true, as but well, don't man. tell anyone. Eh? I really enjoy his humor. S- secret is safe. Yeah, no, him him and David mm. are so much fun, oh, aren't they? They're, okay. they're funny guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, talking about that, maybe it's good to just um, let everyone know that they can come join us on our um, mm-hmm. Facebook group, which is where, Cruzy? Future Quake Southern Hemisphere. Um, just so that everyone knows, we used to be Future Quake Southern Hemisphere. We like Flint Radio now. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. Facebook does not allow you to change your group name, you know, willy-nilly. So we're basically stuck with the name Future Quake Southern Hemisphere. Even though we did want to become mm-hmm. willy-nilly. So, um, <laughs> We, we we asked them very nice, but they wouldn't allow Willie Nilly. Yeah. You know. um, so yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> just type in Future Quake Southern Hemisphere. You'll find us in the group and uh, come join us. Have a chat. Have a virt- virtual cup of coffee. That's right. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say. Next up is a whole show with Cliff. Now the reason that um, we didn't have a actual flink flake for this episode with Cliff was because I asked him to. Um, record 20 minutes of a flint flake because that's what we try to keep them to around about the 20 minutes but we spoke for two hours and 15 minutes <laughs> and i just couldn't get it um, down to 20 minutes so i said look let's make this a whole show so i'm going to try and edit that down to about yeah. 90 minutes but it's excellent so so that would go to that would kind of be a what are you reading this week right that would have been that it was meant to be it was meant to be yes it was meant to be what are you reading this yeah. week with cliff yeah. but it, it turned out to be what are you reading this month with Cliff, so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. It is, that is not surprising. I know, I know. He surprising. is super interesting. And, and um, <laughs> but once you get him going, uh, he, he, he can just go. And it's really good. You can throw any question at Cliff. He's like having a library. You know, you can just throw anything at him and it comes out. It's brilliant. And it really yeah. is worth listening to this one as a whole. That's why I just couldn't cut it down. And it will be super interesting, and so that will be up next. Any other ideas, Andy? What's up next? I thought we should all go to a fun fair, try and record something from there. What do you think? Okay, well, have you got one in mind? I mean, we've got Luna Park here in um, in Sydney, or you could call it Looney Park. But what have you got? <laughs> just come to my work. Come and visit me at work. There's <laughs> there lots of clowns we'll just go there. Go to Cruzy's work. There you go. <laughs> Some people act like animals. I mean, you've got everything there you need. <laughs> I'm just kidding, obviously. Hey, um, I just wanted to say thank you to South Africa for giving us the Campbell sisters, Bronte and Kate Campbell, if you've been watching the Commonwealth Games, you guys. Ah, they did you proud, did um, I think they did uh, twice gold and silver in the pool together. And I think it's the first time hmm. that uh, two sisters have ever stood together on the Commonwealth Games medal podium. And they wow. took... Two golds and Kate Campbell got two golds and her sister Bronte got two silvers in two different events, obviously. And they've scored more medals than that between them. But um, originally from South Africa. So thanks, South Africa, for helping us to get up there on top of the medals table. Any, anything we can do. Was that, was that normal swimming? It wasn't synchronized swimming, eh? No. <laughs> I've got I think... a question about synchronized swimming. 
Mm-hmm. If one of them drowns, do all of them drown? That's a good question. Okay, no, it's really? just it's okay, funny. Just keep that. Obviously, <laughs> you, obviously, you know this story because apparently their mother represented South Africa at the games in mm-hmm. synchronized swimming. Oh, no, yeah, come on. So, Interesting. But, yeah, but uh, anyway. So as usual, um, are you going to actually mention the fact that South Africa did win over the Kiwis? In, uh, was it rugby? You, you guys won the rugby, didn't you, um, Ruzi? At the in, in the sevens tournament, sevens. yes. Yes, yes. So we're just putting it out there. You know, whatever we give to Australia, mm. we still are actually managing to beat New Zealand, <laughs> <laughs> which is well, good. Sorry to all our no, friends love, in New Zealand. Most <laughs> <Both> of them. <laughs> of them yeah. that, I think it's actually down to one now. But, um, please, yeah, sorry to our good friend. And will that please that one guy that listens to us in Transylvania please come back, please come home. No, but seriously, <laughs> um, at the Commonwealth Games, if you go and look at the uh, medals tally, Australia always boxes well above its weight. Um, I think we're second only behind the United Kingdom. We're only a small country in population, but um, always uh, in sport, always box well above our weight. And again, thank you guys for giving us the Campbell sisters because they are just brilliant in the pool. Very Th- true. That's a pleasure. Is it enough stirring now? Have I stirred enough or you want some more? You've done very well, yeah. I think you're boxing well above your weight, actually. <laughs> In the art of stirring. And I tell you what, there's some weight to box above, so, you know. <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it about time to get an update from our, our fantastic presenter, Andy, uh, um, about the new... Rugby updates, law updates. You know, it, it never gets <laughs> Just off. to keep no everyone times, updated. No matter mm-hmm. how many times you ask her about the new rules in rugby, mm-hmm. it never gets old. So I'm, I'm stapling my thighs to my chair for this one. Yeah. Just so Go. everyone's okay. updated. Do you want to know what the latest rule is? The latest rule is if the ball explodes Ooh. Ooh. when somebody kicks it. Yeah. yeah. So is this a Hamas football game? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I think we've talked enough rubbish for the next three months. I'm so glad people have finally heard Cruzy because that's what they wanted to hear. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> They've got a good dose now. And that one never gets old either. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, two listeners in New Zealand. Is there anything intelligent that you'd like to add to this conversation or are we going to say goodbye? Because I... But as the carpenters sang, Andy, we've only just <laughs> begun. There you go. I think I'm going to play oh, out now. Okay. Um, Enough. We love you, our friends, our listeners, and we're going to play out with uh, GK and Cruzy. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bravo! I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boo! Boo!
thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com. That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com.